Happy 38th birthday. And I hear it's your second anniversary wedding. I hear you've been working really hard as a defense attorney and your birthday is here. Happy birthday. We celebrate you today. Hope your birthday is booming. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, Terrell Owens will be in the 49ers Hall of Fame, and I hope there's a star under his statue. Apparently, Kyle Shanahan really sucks at Madden, especially he's playing against 12-year-olds. And with me, on the measurement platform, clocking in at a whole .96 Kyler Murray's, it's David Newman. Uh, I just hope your birthday's booming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The, like, it, it is literally worse than when vernon davis tried to sell stock in himself it's bad happy anniversary wedding Wedding. (laughs) it's like what if you're Uh, you're not cut up that clip was it was antonio brown for reals the blonde mustache is affecting his brain it's it's because he drank bleach i told you last week uh but uh, apparently he is now trying to make a little bit of cash on the side and he's making he's he's getting paid 500 dollars to make custom videos for people and and that is the result. It's a happy birthday, wedding. It's it's amazing. Uh, lots happened this week. Of course, it was Combine Week. Had lots of great stories come out of Combine Week. Game of Thrones trailer dropped. Yup. Um. It, lots of wonderful things. Yeah. It, I mean, Game of Thrones trailer was. I'm just. I'm ready for it. I yeah. Wanted. I got distracted for. I lost an hour and a half of productivity at work. Yeah. I lo- how how long is the trailer? Like two minutes and some change? Yeah, two and some change. Yeah, yeah I lost like three minutes of my life, but I'm still equally, <laughs> equally pumped. It's Went great. down rabbit holes after that. Yeah, no, I did not go down any rabbit holes, but uh, but yeah, it was good. So let's get to the rundown because what we want to cover this week is really just kind of wrap up our free agency plan, do a little bit of whether or not we are in or out on a couple of late-breaking items and players that have been detached from their teams recently, uh, and then kind of get everything ready for preparing for the draft, because next week we start some of our draft previews, uh, and off we go. So first in the rundown, top stories this week. Mike Person gets a three-year deal. Uh, Not exactly like we predicted, but this is what we thought the team was going to do. Three million guaranteed, up to nine million total, uh, just about where we thought. It does not tie the team's hands in any way, shape, or form, but it gives them uh, kind of some consistency and some reliability along that front, uh, which is what they had last year. Yeah, something along this line like made the most sense just because, again, they, they just don't seem to value guard super highly. You know, they, they feel like tackle and center are kind of the more important key positions along the offensive line for them. That's where they kind of have money resources devoted currently. And so uh, it was always kind of unlikely that they were going to go – spend you know bigger money at, at this position to kind of add uh an, an upgrade on somebody like person and so I, I think you know he was fine last year he's a better pass protector than run blocker which uh you know if you're going to have a weakness you would rather have that weakness be in the run game for sure and, and so i think keeping the continuity um you know up front is is something that should be beneficial for them going forward and, and to be honest the offensive line made strides last year they were better i think pff sure. at the end of the year had them ranked 15th overall as a unit and that is only going if they remain the same that's a pretty good place to be but I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to make them better when he returns the quarterback does have an impact on the offensive line uh, and if he gets that ball out quick you're not going to have to worry about as many things as you would when you have slow processing CJ Beathard back there uh, or, or even Nick Mullins because I think the quarterback can make the offensive line appear better than they are so I think another year of continuity hopefully Richburg is actually injured and isn't just bad at football sure and and off you go I think at that point because I think it is smart to value your center and tackles and to put less importance on your guards than it is to I don't know pay your guard you know 37 million dollars or whatever yeah you can't you know go out and throw a bunch of money at at every all five of those um, positions right so you gotta kind of pick and choose and then hopefully you can make do with with competent players at the other spots Next up in the rundown, one of the other stories to come, well, really one of the main stories to come out of the combine was Jakai Polite. That's not how you say his name. No, that's, yeah, that's right on. Is it really? Yeah. I would have thought it was like Polite or something like that. Um, Polite? 
Who knows? Uh, but Jakai uh, Polite said the Niners just bashed me. Apparently, he, I mean, the, the thing in... He said that about everybody. Well, he did. He said it about the Packers and the Niners specifically, but everyone said that he had probably the worst combine, not just because of his athletic test, but because of the way that he appeared when he was asked about the interviews. He said repeatedly, oh, the team just bashed me. They asked uh, specifically about the 49ers. He said they asked me why questions, why, 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 nothing else. And, and that, I mean... By and large, everyone's like, oh, that's really that's a really, really bad look. Not going to lie. When I read the tweets of the interview and I read the transcript, I was like, man, this guy sounds like a dick. But when you listen to it, it sounds totally different. Oh, I disagree. I, 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 maybe not uh, completely the same as text. Like, it, it's a little bit better when you listen to it, but uh, totally different. Uh, no, strong disagree. This is not, this is a bad look. It's, it's a bad look, but like, if, if you listen to him, it sounds more like, yeah, like, I don't, it sounds more playful, I think, than anything else. It sounds like more good natured, like eh, like they were bashing me, sure, or whatever. Totally. Um, and and that I think is a much different look than like being angry or aggressive about the fact that they were quote unquote bashing him. I think what's important is is something that the 49ers and not just the 49ers do in these interviews is actually try to knock the players off their center. So Mayoko interviewed Ethan Waugh, who's the 49ers director of college scouting. And he said that they specifically try to do this, that they try to get beyond the scripted answers. They get beyond the questions that these players are expecting to try to get at that person's character. And Polite knows this is what they're doing. He said, like, oh, you know, they just wanted to ask me questions, get to know my character and things like that. Um, it just It's one of those things where it, I think his combine testing and his quote-unquote hamstring injury um, is more problematic than, like, a playful, like, yeah, they were bashing me kind of thing. I think the like the the downside, right? Which I agree. Like you know, all and we're seeing this like with the Kyler Murray stuff and what his interviews were supposedly like, and and all of that I think is largely very overblown and and kind of unless you're there, you really don't know the the specific context of it. But I think overall for him, it is yeah, it's just it kind of shows like a lack of preparation, right? It's like. I like he had no idea what he was getting into going into this process, right? Which is kind of absurd. It's like, oh man, I just got a job at In and Out, and what the fuck, man? They made me flip burgers. Like, mother- like, what do you think they were gonna make you do, right? Like, uh, like of course they were gonna come at you with like these type of questions, and and everybody at this point. Like the combine hasn't changed in so long. Everybody knows exactly what's coming in every stage of this combine process. And if you are that thrown off guard by it, it just like shows, I think, a a complete lack of preparation. Like you had no idea what's going on. So here's so you can hear with your own ears what it sounds like. Here is uh, a quick snippet of that interview that someone captured on Twitter uh, and posted. I think Zach. Uh, Halprin posted this on Twitter. So this is uh, polite, and this is a snippet of that interview. They're bashing me. They're bashing me, like, yeah. They're trying to figure out my character. It's not like that's their job. They're supposed to do it. I'm not saying it like being like crybaby or anything, but like that's their job. I just didn't know they expect. Yeah, and then when they turn on film, bad plays. Like that. They show you the bad places? Yeah. They'll show you good places. So yeah, so by and large, he just he's detailing exactly what the team say they do. They roll the film, they're like, explain to me why I did that. That's bad. Again, it's like what do you expect going into it, right? They wanna you if if you're gonna show things on film and try to get a better understanding, like I don't need you to explain to me this awesome play where you like blew by the tackle and got a sack, right? I don't need to know what's, I can see what's going on there, right? Explain to me what happened and like what you learned from this bad play. And like, again, how do you not know this is coming? Like, how do you not expect this? Yeah. I think like, by and large though, like on. that, I hear that interview. I read the transcript of that interview and I'm like, Oh man, that sounds bad. I hear it. And I go, Agree that it's Whatever. much better when you listen to it because yeah. you get to see the body language and, yeah. and kind of the tone and, and all of that stuff definitely makes a difference from reading it's, it. But it's still just like, what? Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's like a complete like, eh, whatever, don't care. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, again, overall, like this is the type yeah. of shit that like largely doesn't matter. It's just, I think, more surprising to me than anything that like at this point, again, where you know exactly right. what's happening, that you can still get to that point. I will say this, blowing up at a nurse over a urine sample at the combine <laughs> is probably a bigger red flag. Sure, probably a red... We can red flag that one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call that the foster rule. Uh, but the, the... And that's really, I think, most of the rundown stuff. Everything else that we're going to get to in terms of release players or, or players that we're going to talk about, we'll, we'll talk about here in the 
next section, which is going to be in or out. I, I really hope that you mentioned in and out burger earlier just because you saw in and out on the agenda. And that was like the first thing that came to mind. Uh, I mean, not consciously. I did not do that. No, but, you know, well, who knows? Well, we're about to play a game uh, called Are You In or Are You Out? I'm going to list a couple of items and or players. And, David, you're going to tell me whether you are in or you're out on this thing. We're not going to talk about burgers because if we were to talk about burgers, then it's pretty simple. You are out on in and out because that's what a normal human would do. I mean, out, you know, compared to most other options. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, like, not eat, you know, I eat in sure. and out sure it's there it's fine it's there yeah it's just it's the world's worst french fries uh and so bad. it's don't terrible. even talk to me about fucking you need to know how to order stay out of my mentions with that crap <laughs> give me better fries <laughs> well done fries uh, you have you shouldn't you, you know how to order you gotta them. know how to order the fries yeah. no don't like it uh despite the fact that i was born and raised in california is <laughs> not a good place not a good place. not happening it. nope uh, all right are you in or are you out david the team option on kyle use check it is 5.9 million dollars dear god no so you would not exercise the option on kyle use check i mean they will but i wouldn't no no it's i it's one of those things where it's it's man 5.9 million dollars makes him a top 10 running back based on annual he's gonna get paid more than Jarrett mckinnon this year he is and next year is another team option and it's even higher it's 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 even higher it's like 6.2 million dollars next year kyle use check is the yes he is good at his job but he is not so uniquely good at his job that you can't find someone at half the cost. He's not 500% better than every other fullback in the no. league or whatever. Think like Anthony Sherman, you know, there's he, like two other players getting paid over a million dollars this year at, at fullback. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm nearly at six top 10 running back. And it's like, you're taking a less valuable kind of cousin of an already very unvaluable position. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, We've already had all it's these wild. talks about kickers. Like running I back know. is the the kicker of real positions. Like it's just, yeah, it's dumb. Yeah, I, I it's nothing. and again, it, the mo, everyone, most people, when we talk about this kind of stuff, says, well, it's it, it doesn't matter. They have the cap space, and and the cap space is yeah. largely funny money. And by and large, I agree with the the premise that the cap is largely kind of irrelevant, especially if you have someone like Pragmarate working the cap, but. This gives you a window into the team's decision-making process and how they choose to allocate their resources and what they find to be important. And what we are learning about the game of football is oftentimes not aligned with the decisions that the team is making. And that is concerning. When they're putting a bunch of resources into positions and players that you don't need to put resources into, that kind of decision-making over time, those collective bad decisions end up adding up. And then in a couple of years, you're like, man... I really wish we, we had space or money or, or things to do. And, and you just stack a bunch of bad decisions on, on top of that. Or the team just doesn't know how to make that right decision because they don't know what positions are truly valuable. And that's when you really get in trouble. Um, and, and so it's less about like, you know, the $5.9 million we're going to pay Kyle Juszczyk next year. It's more about the window into the decision making of the team that maybe raises a couple of red flags. Yeah. And again, and like in an off season where you would like them to be pretty aggressive, right? And go and get uh several pieces right i think ideally you don't come out of this with just kind of one impact player right it's not just getting an earl thomas and kind of calling it a day right you want to go out there and you need several pieces especially defensively and it's like if you're thinking about whether i could get so say right now maybe i can afford a top safety like thomas and i can afford a top you know edge rusher that's still available on the market um, well, maybe if I had an extra $5 million, I could go out there and get another edge rusher, right? Or something like that. Like you would much rather devote those resources to other areas of your team that actually matter. And it can actually move the needle on your season, uh, as opposed to a fullback that like, you know, again, juice for a fullback has some skill, but that mo- the amount of money that they're paying him far far outweighs like whatever yep. he brings to the table on the field. And they can go find those skills elsewhere for much cheaper. Dakota Watson also has a team option. It is $1.8 million. Do you pick that up? No, nah, me either. Uh, Cassius Marsh has an option. $5.1 million. Would you pick that up? No, me either. This is what astounds me about Cassius Marsh though. He is the 11th highest paid 49er. The 11th highest paid 49er. That. At $5.1 million, that's basically a million dollars per spinning roundhouse kick. 
I mean, this was, I sent you this earlier today as I was kind of looking at this and was like dumbfounded by use checks, uh, option amount and and how much he was going to get paid. But you look at like their top cap numbers for, for 2019, right? So, uh, within the top 12 highest paid players, as things currently stand, obviously they're going to likely add some players that'll kind of jump into this mix. But right now you're looking at, uh, a center two running backs, which one of them is actually a fullback, right? Uh, a linebacker that's played 300 snaps in two seasons, Cassius Marsh, <laughs> and a goddamn kicker on a franchise tag. Like, the, the only thing that you've done right uh, is as far as where you're paying players right now is basically Jimmy Garoppolo and Joe Staley. And I'll, I'll throw, I'll concede Richard Sherman as well. I, I think that, yeah, what he's done uh, is very good for that deal and like that that all is fine so those are your three highest paid players yep. right now everything after that is just a disaster yeah that's 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 the state of the roster this is why the Niners need to actually apply the resources in a very substantive way because when you look at the the top players it's concerning you look at the David pulled this up he looked at the Rams 11th high place uh, 11th highest paid player and that's Robert Woods like you know, that that's someone the- who actually contributes that's the disparity that we're talking about here is is and I think it's actually I, I kind of want to start just pointing out the like the 11th person rule. I'm just going to start looking at like every every team's 11th highest paid player and see if I can make a determination about the general health of their roster based on that one human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of depressing. And like, look, yes, well aware that there are players below that 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 are talented. They're on rookie deals. Guys like McGlinchey, guys like uh, uh George Kittle, like, yes, they, they have a couple of those. Those are great. But that's, you know, the benefits of having those players on the cheaper rookie deals is that you're supposed to be able to go get good players that you can actually pay yep. money. And right now they, they don't have those. Yep. That's why rookie deals are valuable because you get you get uh, supreme production for very little money. So you can then allocate those resources on even better players. And instead, we're paying... You get Cassius Marsh. We're paying a, a, fullback. Com- a combined uh, $11 million dollars. Uh, 16 or 15 if you count the kicker uh, on a kicker a fullback and good old Cassius Marsh all right well let's talk about players that are available now in free agency because they have either been released uh, or in one case are available potentially via trade Justin Houston has been told that he will be released he is an edge rusher from Kansas City he's another player in the 30 plus category and has a bit of an injury history but are you in or are you out on signing Justin Houston in yeah, I think you know with with Brandon Graham off the market right now, I think he kind of uh, slides into that same sort of tier, right? That same t- sort of player. I think you know he's a little bit uh, maybe a step below Graham in terms of what his production has been, uh, you know, over the last several seasons. But uh, it, it's not far off, and I think um, you're likely. I mean, the reason they cut him right is because he had an absurd cap number this year. Yeah. He's going to be paid like twenty one million dollars, so he's not going to. Uh, I don't think it get anywhere near that on the open market. I think, you know, he'll be well paid, you know, maybe a little more than what Graham got. Cause it seems like Graham kind of took maybe a little bit of a discount there to stay in Philadelphia. But I think, yeah, he's a very productive player comes in as like uh, a, you know, a veteran that you can expect is going to be there and still maintain that production for, I think the next couple seasons. Uh, and I think he kind of wins in, in similar fashion to Graham as well. I think this is the type of move that in our roster rubric, we would call like a tier three player, yep. not like a tier. This is the textbook definition of a tier three player. This is where you want to allocate those resources because you can expect him to contribute at a fairly high level for a year or two. I mean, last year, his pass rush grade was 89.1, which is pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, I think that was like the second highest of his career. So it, Exactly. And, and he's had he's consistently performed at the elite level or just below that. Over the course of his career, this is a guy who has consistently produced at a high level. He's the kind of guy that you want to pay. And because he is, uh, you know, kind of on on the quote unquote wrong side of 30, if you pair that with a young edge player, this is how you sustain edge production, I think, over not just one or two or three years, but over five, six, seven years. Um, and, And he could also be a mentor for whomever the young guy is. And he's produced at a very, very high level. So I'm super in on going after Justin Houston. I think that could be the guy the Niners pay a lot of money to, and I think that's exactly where they should spend a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, uh, no no rule that says you can only have, like, one good edge rusher, right? Yeah. Go get, you know, a couple of these guys in free agency, draft one. Um, you know, you need good pass rushers. You need good coverage yeah. players. Go get a bunch of those. Exactly. Uh, Eric Weddle just got released from Baltimore. 
He is 34 years old. Are you in or are you out? You know, I think I'm out. Um, it's it's tempting. I mean, Weddle, uh, I think, is a very good player, obviously. I think he probably still has something left to contribute. Like, I don't think that he is is completely done and washed up uh, just yet. But I just, I just don't think that he's necessarily the best fit. I mean, a, a good part of his value comes from the fact that you can move him around everywhere, right? He, he kind of can do everything. He plays down in the box. He plays deep. He can play in the slot and guard guys in man coverage, right? He, he can kind of do everything. And I think that fit very well in a scheme like Baltimore's, right? That's uh, they're doing a lot of different things from a coverage standpoint. There's a lot more disguise. I just think he would kind of be wasted a little bit, you know, in, in a scheme like the 49ers in uh, kind of just that straight kind of pretty vanilla single high, not a whole lot of disguise involved in what they're doing. Like, I just don't think that's really the best fit for him. So I, I think I would probably pass. I think part of the reason that Baltimore is releasing Weddle is because it seems like they're going to make a push for Tyron Matthew, um, who is another player in that mold. He is he can be played anywhere. He can help disguise things. He's a younger version of Weddle. And if the Niners weren't going to go after someone like Tyron Matthew when he was available, I don't know that they will want to go after Eric Weddle. And even then, I think he's... Uh, on on the definite wrong side of 30. And I yeah. think his worst seasons have been the last two seasons, uh, which means yeah. that he's probably on the decline. He hasn't, anything. yeah, he hasn't been bad, but it's like low, it's it's a step below kind of that really great level. You know, he, I mean, he was an elite player at that position for quite a while. So I think it's a step below that. And I think that's enough combined with the other factors that you probably want to look a different direction. Another recently released player, Darian Stewart, safety out of Denver. Uh, he has been informed of his release, and he's also, I guess, now in his uh, eighth or ninth season. Are you in or are you out? Out. Not good. Yeah. Nothing else to add. No, yeah, not good. Uh, the last two years have not been great. Uh, I would say that right now, Jaquaski Tart is a much better player of football than, than Darian Stewart. Yeah. I don't think he offers a whole hell of a lot. Um, all right. So next up in the are you in or are you out game, it's going to be Anthony Barr. Only reason he's on here is because I've gotten a lot of questions about Barr on Twitter asking why we didn't include him in our edge preview and our defensive kind of free agent preview or even on the linebacker side because we didn't cover him in the linebackers either. So Anthony Barr, are you in or are you out? Out. Uh, and I think, so uh, uh, really a couple things with him. Uh, one, he's not an edge rusher. Um, I think the, I don't know really where the idea that he is an edge rusher has come from i think it's because um, he's used heavily as a pass rusher not necessarily an edge rusher i mean in... heavily is a, a very generous term i mean so you look at it, it kind one of where say he's I'm hyperbolic he, what, what, look at where he's lining up and kind of where he's rushing the passer from so typically he's kind of been around a uh, ballpark like a hundred pass rush snaps per season um and maybe like less than half of those so kind of looking at the last uh four seasons never more than 50 snaps from a true edge position. So usually you're looking in that kind of 30, like 31 season, 33, 46, like not spending a lot of time there. And he almost exclusively is rushing the passer in, in blitz is part of their blitz packages, blitz package, right? Yeah. He's not a guy that they're lining up on the edge just as a true pass rusher and letting him go at it. Never had more than three snaps in a season that didn't come on a blitz. So, like, he is an off-ball linebacker. He spends time even on the line of scrimmage just because of what Minnesota does defensively, and they kind of have a a lot of blitz packages where they just put a lot of guys up in the line of scrimmage, right? So uh, he's an off-ball linebacker, and and so when you're looking at him in that fashion, uh, you, you then become concerned about what he can do in coverage, right? And so I think that's the biggest kind of liability with his game uh, is is what he does from a coverage standpoint. So I just think, yeah, if he were if he were to come in, like his best fit would probably be as a, a kind of Sam linebacker in base. But who cares? Like it's that's not a position that you should be spending money on. Yep. A reminder that the base package is only a package that you play three out of ten snaps in the NFL nowadays. Yeah. So that while it may be base personnel, it is not your most common personnel. I think with Anthony Barr, everyone remembers that 2015 season where he was playing basically out of his mind good. Uh, That was the elite season, and I think this happens, and and I'm guilty of it too, but when a player reaches that kind of height and they they get to that all-pro level, they're considered one of the best at their position, that tag never leaves that human unless something bad happens or they become trash like really, really quickly. And so I think people are still latching on to the fact that Anthony Barr was an elite linebacker for a very, very good defense, 
and they're projecting that to be the case currently when it just isn't. Yeah, I think, you know, especially when something like that happens early, like he was decent as a rookie and then has that kind of big year two breakout and you kind of think that that's just what he is now. And and now when you look back on it, that really hasn't been the case. He's really been more of kind of a, a pretty average run-of-the-mill linebacker, and, and he doesn't do the things well. I mean, having that value even as a blitzer, right, as a pass rusher, is certainly better than not having any value in the pass game. For and for sure. Minnesota, it was great because Minnesota would use a lot of that double mug front where they would kind of get linebackers in the A-gaps, and, and they did a lot of stuff with that because of Mike Zimmer's defense. So it made sense for what the the Vikings wanted to do with Zimmer's scheme. Yeah, he he's just not, like, you're not bringing him in to go and be part of your four-man pass rush and just kind of come off the edge and beat tackles. Like, that's not what he is. Yeah. He's no Derwin James, is what we're trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Derwin James would still be the best edge rusher on the 49ers. Uh, So let's get to the last person on the inner out, and that's going to be Tashawn Gibson. He has been rumored to be available via trade. He, of course, is with the Jaguars, and so anyone associated with the Jaguars is going to get immediately like, hey, scheme fit, does he work for the Niners? Because of the fact that they run a very, very similar defense. But what do you think? Deshaun Gibson, relatively young. Are you in? Are you out? Out. This safety class is loaded in free agency. Um, Giving up uh, draft draft picks or anything for a safety that's not as good as like many of these guys available in free agency is dumb. Absolutely. Totally agree. And we, I mean, we've covered the safeties already, but there's so many options at the safety position. The best linebacker in this free agent class is also a safety. Like you could kill two birds with one stone uh, and just basically sign landing Collins. So, uh, all right. I think that's, uh, that's it for, are you in or are you out? Uh, lots of things, man, I still cannot get over the fact that the 11th highest paid niner is the cash marsh, but Hey, you know what? It's the roster we got. Excellent world that we live in right now. 10 and 6, my friend. So much fun. 10 and 6. All right, let's get to the plan for free agency because we have a bit more clarity about the franchise tags, who's actually available, and what the 49ers can do. But before we get to that, let's hear just a quick word from our sponsors. All right, David, what's the plan? Because at the top, I feel personally hurt. My, there's a little piece of me that died. Brandon Graham told us he owed it to his family to test free agency. And he lied to us, David. He lied. He looked me straight in the eye via Twitter and lied to me. And he's re-signed with the Philadelphia Eagles before ever hitting the open market. I don't know that my, that my soul can take it. I can't even imagine how his family feels. Right? Being lied. Like lied to us, lied to his family. I, I have to question people that are that good at lying. What else Tough. are you lying about? That's the question. What else are you lying about, Brandon Graham? It's a bummer. Uh, it, 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 is a, it is a bummer. I think that was probably the guy uh, that, that I was hoping for most because it seemed like he was going to actually go out there and, and hit the open market, right? And, and I think he gets undervalued a little bit because yep. he doesn't have the monster sack numbers but has really been one of the, the premier edge rushers in the league for a while now. And so I think that was a guy that you're like, yes, please, please make it. We have money to pay you. Um, and, and so kind of having him, some of the other guys, I mean, obviously you have, uh, you know, a, a number of players that ended up getting tagged, which isn't completely unexpected. Demarcus Lawrence gets a tag for a second year, uh, though they're, ex- which how, like if you, why not just, I mean, it's all, it's all like, that's the thing is they're, they're trying to position it as just like an extension on time to negotiate the long-term deal right They're They're, uh, trying to get that done is is the word but yeah i think you're you're still giving him the tag for a second year which is a lot of money that second year franchise tag is no joke not quite as bad as i i think my mind where my mind initially went it's not uh, Kirk cousins bad yeah it's, exactly exactly so uh but you have him you have d ford frank clark davian Clowney, all getting tagged as well and i think um that's fine i mean i, I don't think that really any of those guys uh were players that we were terribly interested in i think no uh, well demarcus lawrence definitely lawrence yeah back back up the brinks truck for that guy but there were i mean if anyone was going to get tagged it was going to be him and even at that second year i think that puts him like in the top three or whatever for for single year in terms of getting paid yeah so if he plays on that basically only von miller and cleo mack are getting have higher 2019 makes sense i mean it makes sense and honestly if that means that they that the cowboys can't go after earl thomas and hey that that ends up maybe that, worth it. Yeah, yeah and it, that ends up working out for the 49ers either way because they'll be able to to not have to compete against the Cowboys who were really his only other suitor. Uh, and props to uh, to Earl Thomas for not taking a hometown discount. Love it. 
Yeah. Get paid, man. Get the money while you can uh, and get it from the 49ers. I would like that. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great. So at this point, who's left? At this point, we've got players like Ziggy Anza, Shaq Barrett, Dante Fowler, Marcus Golden, Shane Ray, uh, Preston Smith, and Zadarius Smith. So of that group, and, and they, of course, span the different cost buckets that we had outlined in the free agent preview, um, who's kind of your preferred option at edge? So I think Barrett's probably the the guy that I'm most interested in there. I mean, I think the the thing that is most interesting now with those guys off the market, right, is is kind of what does that do for these players? Because are are teams actually going to still kind of value them relatively reasonably and and know that these are largely all kind of second tier pass rushers and and give them contracts? I mean, you're always going to overpay a little bit for what a player is actually worth unless you just kind of get lucky get a player maybe at the end of free agency who just didn't have a market or maybe unless you're a safety last year or something like that and just ridiculous things are happening but large like by and large you're gonna have to you know pay them a good amount of money but you hope that you don't see these players getting uh top tier edge money just because they happen to be the best left right i I think think that they the value i think they will get more money now than they would have if any one of the other guys would have hit the open market i I do think that someone's probably going to overpay for ziggy and they're going to be sorely disappointed and and i hope that he's the guy that goes first because then everyone will go below him and that's where i think you can get value with shaq barrett um, I still don't want to touch Dante Fowler with the 10 foot pole. No. Uh, and, but th- I think the other question I've got for you is I-, I love getting quality players at impact positions. I think Justin Houston, someone that I would absolutely target. I think Shaq Barrett is someone who I would absolutely target as well. Do you go after both of them knowing what you could do in the draft? And obviously we still have the draft preview and, and still have lots of film to watch about some of those edge players. But do you get someone like a Shaq Barrett and a Justin Houston, and then maybe someone like an Allen or a Bosa, depending on what happens uh, in the draft? Yeah, I think uh, like getting edge rushers again in free agency shouldn't really impact your decision one way or another when it comes to the draft. You know, you're, you're still looking for the best players that you can find at the best the most valuable positions. Right. And so I think if, uh, in this draft, especially there's, you know, it's a pretty good edge class. And so if, if you're in position to take somebody like Nick Bosa, for instance, like that's probably still going to make sense. It's probably still going to be your best option. Uh, and and again, upgrading that pass rush is certainly, uh, not something that you should be like hesitant to do. So yeah, I, I think that you can go after multiple pieces here. I think going after multiple free agents and still looking to address it in the draft and get a younger player, uh, is definitely on the table. I think you should be interested in, uh, you know, potentially looking at again, safety, like maybe multiple safeties as well. Like you, you should really be focused on that pass defense. So let's get to the pass defense then. Let's talk about cornerback and then safety because cornerback is going to be real quick. If you listen to our free agency preview, you know that there's really only two people that we think is, is are really worth it in this category. And that's Jason Verrett and Bradley Roby. I'd be fine with either. Uh, I'd probably, you know, they're not going to solve the cornerback position, yeah. but I think that they are, they would be an infusion of talent that is sorely needed at a position that is very concerning given both its importance and the 49ers lack of depth and, and uncertainty at the position. Because if we've learned anything over the years, which we've done this show is that no matter how much hope you have in the offseason and how much you think everything is going to break your way, Akella Witherspoon had a sophomore slump, but he's going to come back. Tavares Moore is going to actually develop. You know, we're going to draft another corner. The chances are those things are not all going to happen positively and break your way. Yep. So you need some kind of insurance at a position that is important. And that's why you end up getting someone like Jason Verrett uh, as maybe an upside, uh, as an upside guy and someone like Bradley Roby, because hopefully you can leverage the history with uh, the position coach into a signing. Yeah, I think, and this is actually a position too, where it becomes interesting not to go, you know, again, too far into draft stuff just yet, but this is where kind of like, if you are able to get multiple pass rushers and what's a pretty strong, you know, especially compared to last year, right. Edge class in, in free agency, um, get multiple players from that group. And then you're looking at, you know, potentially trading down from two, you know, if somebody, uh, wants to jump up there to either say, get Joey Bosa, if the Cardinals take Kyler Murray, or I think more likely get Dwayne, uh, Haskins, right. Get the second quarterback, uh, that that's out there and, and make sure that you actually get one of the guys that you think can improve your quarterback, uh, situation this year. Like 
if you can get a haul move back there, that's when some of the top cornerbacks in this class really start to look interesting is kind of at that bottom part of the top 10, right? And so I think you move back into that range, maybe get address that sort of need there. And and, and that's maybe a, a kind of a better thing overall for your team is to kind of look at that. But uh, obviously a lot of different scenarios that we can get to later on. Yeah, exactly. So if you're keeping track at home for edge, our preferred players, our preferred targets are Justin Houston and Shaq Barrett at cornerback. It's Jason Verrett and Bradley Roby at safety. We've talked about Earl Thomas a little bit, so we know that he's up there as well as a preferred option, but man, I found love with Adrian Amos. I really did. And I think that he could be a really good value signing for a team the concern that some people have had with him is that he doesn't play a single high free safety, but I don't think that's a concern at all with Adrian Amos. Not only is uh, the Vic Fangio defense just fundamentally different, he, he's going to play in space at the top of the defense, but he also plays very, very well in single high looks. And in Vic Fangio's defense, he had to do that uh, quite a bit because it is a very, very multiple defense and he's not just a, an in-the-box safety. I think he can absolutely handle all of the, the cover three responsibilities that the team would throw at him. Very, very smart guy. And I think he could be, he's a younger kind of, you know, still very, very good safety that the Niners could get if for whatever reason they miss out on someone like Earl Thomas. Yeah, they use, I mean, um, you know, Jackson is definitely, I think, the guy that fits more of a true free safety thing. And that's kind of why he was used maybe a little bit more in that fashion in Chicago, but they, they largely use their safeties pretty interchangeably and, and kind of they're all out. They're both asked to do, you know, a bunch of different things and they play, uh, you know, a lot of too high stuff that gets them down uh, kind of in the box. But like I mentioned, I think on, on Twitter at some point when somebody asks that, like they played single high looks over 60% of the time. So it, it's not like this, uh, type of, of coverage is foreign to him and he hasn't, doesn't have a lot of experience. Like I think, um, it's fine. There, there aren't, uh, if you miss out on Earl Thomas, there aren't a ton of guys who are just such a natural, perfect fit at that, that you, uh, would exclude players like Amos from, from potentially playing that role. And then at wide receiver, well, let's get to linebacker first. So we've got Landon Collins, who I think would be the best linebacker in in this class. (laughs) Uh, and Jordan Hicks, Jordan Hicks would be my guy. It's a bit of a gamble given his injury history, but I think the Niners are probably going to end up with another linebacker in the draft anyway. And I think that the upside that Jordan Hicks offers you, especially if you can get a discount because of his injury, uh, is worth taking a risk on someone like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's it's probably uh, incredibly unrealistic to think that they could potentially grab like Earl Thomas and Landon Collins. I mean, Landon Collins is, uh, you know, a player that I think would be very good for them, but I just don't see them really going hard after that. And, and yeah, and then to be honest, like the rest of the linebackers, I'm probably given a pass on in general. Yeah, right? in free I think, agency, I am too. Yeah, I think defensively, you're really looking, again, you'd like to go, uh, you, you like it when the strength of the class matches with what you need, right? And when you have a lot of needs like the 49ers do currently, you want to just kind of hit those strengths. You don't want to go and try to reach for maybe one of the only, you know, one or two good players at a position, uh, you know, like linebacker, which yes, they could use some extra help there. But I just think overall, that's not a a position that's quite as important as, is what you got in the secondary and then on, on the edge. And so, given that you have stronger classes there, that's really where you should be focused and kind of make in signing your impact players at those spots. Uh, at guard, that's already been kind of addressed and it was addressed with an officially yep. sanctioned better rivals move. So cool. Already ticking the, the boxes on our to-do list here for, for part of the plan. But now we get to wide receiver and wide receiver is an area where we were not super enamored with the free agent options. Didn't think that there were that there were a lot of good options for the 49ers there. And now it seems that the 49ers are not in on the Antonio Brown sweepstakes. They have not had any contact with the Steelers. And, you know, I think in, in situations like this, you take Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch at their word. And I do. I, I don't think they've had any talks. And if, I trust people like Mayoko and Barrows who are like, yeah, I don't think the Niners are in this one. It seems, though, like they are in on Odell Beckham Jr. And Matt, Matt Barrows actually had an article in The Athletic today where he was kind of pointing out some of John Lynch's tells. Uh, and when he asked John Lynch about Odell Beckham, John Lynch did his like fidgety kind of tell where he gives the boilerplate answer, but like his basically everything else gives it away. Um, doesn't give away the fact that they're like going to trade for him or anything, but there's sure. probably some yeah. legit interest there. And that makes sense. He's a younger player, less locker room headaches. We've talked about that quite a bit in, in, in our preview episode. But now it seems like the bounty for Odell Beckham, though, is pretty high. Because, the, the, of course, the, the Twitter bomb today was that Cleveland was going to make some kind of big move. The rumor mill is involving maybe guard Kevin Zeitler, Emmanuel Ogba, 
a 2019 second or third round pick and maybe even a 2021st, which is a hell of a haul for someone like Odell Beckham Jr. So the question then becomes, are you still in on someone like Odell if the price tag is that high? No. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's just not worth it to give up that many I agree. resources. The, the team is not an Odell Beckham away. They just aren't. I mean, again, the 11th highest paid player on their team <laughs> is Cassius Marsh. The, so I think that they're not... They're not in a position to give up that many resources. I the the Browns can give up someone like Kevin Zeitler because one, they're paying a guard twelve million dollars, and two, they drafted his replacement, so they're already in a place to absorb that kind of loss. They have a surplus. Do they still have a surplus of draft picks? I feel like they're they're always operating that way, but I feel like yeah, kind of. I honestly don't know what their situation is over the next couple of years. Yeah, but. It, it, and honestly, it may even still be too heavy of a price for the Browns, but. I think for the Niners, if you want to actually make this a sustained kind of thing, you can't just go all in when all in means you might get to nine wins. Yeah, it's just, and it's not, again, like they're so good at receiver that, you know, they shouldn't be looking to upgrade there. I mean, I think Shanahan kind of really said it pretty plainly in that every position on this roster, with the exception of quarterback, is a position that we're looking to upgrade. And I think that's 100% the, the correct approach, right? Like they just have so few players that you again know like I'm going to get very strong high-end production from this player and it's something that I can count on they just don't have a lot of those guys and so yeah they need to be looking everywhere and and they certainly shouldn't be ignoring receiver but again you don't want to give up when you have so many needs and so many players that you want to address uh it's just not smart to kind of put all of your eggs into one basket and even though that player is very good I think there's a very strong argument that you could make that Odell Beckham might be one of the most valuable non-quarterbacks in football, right? Like, I think, um, you Eli know, from, Manning would agree. from a war standpoint, uh, you know, for us, uh, with George and Eric are, are kind of doing um, now and have kind of starting to, to really work out a war metric for football. Like, I know he's done very well there and has been worth a couple wins. Like, uh, DeAndre Hopkins was basically the most valuable non-quarterback this year. And so you can get a lot of value from a high-end wide receiver, um, you just don't want to, in the 49ers situation, uh, give up a ton of stuff to do it. I, I think we mentioned a little bit like uh, talking about the Brown stuff last week where basically, you know, where something like this, where you, you start to be willing to give up some more draft picks is if you do have an opportunity to trade back from two, right, and accumulate a bunch of extra picks, uh, you know, both this draft and the future drafts, uh, that then becomes kind of some ammo that you can use to flip for a player like that. And it makes a little bit more sense in that context, but barring something like that, I mean, it's just, it's a a hell of a lot to give up. Yeah. I think the trade that makes sense for the 49ers is where you trade back to six and the giants go up to two to draft someone like Haskins or Bosa or whomever. Right. Um, Or let's say Bosa goes number one and then you do trade back because they want to draft Kyler Murray or something like that. Um, And, and that's when you're like, okay, you give us Odell Beckham, we go to six, you jump up to two, and maybe you do like a third-round pick or something in addition. That's where that makes sense. But I think if the Browns are going to throw this bounty at the Giants, and the Giants do want to move on from Odell Beckham, if I'm the Giants, that's that's the bounty I take. I, I don't just go up to, to two. I think it's probably smarter for them to go up and take a quarterback, um, even though it's not an, they're, they're not going to get as much compensation, I think, overall. It, I think it's much more valuable for them to go up and get Murray or Haskins and I think if I'm John Lynch that's the card I play I say hey you're right the Browns are going to give you way more but they're going to give you a guard they're going to give you they're (laughs) going to give you future stuff right we're going to give you your quarterback of the future and that's how you win in today's NFL yeah And, and that's the card I play so the the I think the ancillary question that I would have to this is if you do go to if Joe Bose is on the board and he and and let's say the Nick Cardinals Bosa. take Murray, Nick Bosey. Sorry, uh, all the damn Boses. They're like the Gronkowskis. There's just so <laughs> many of them. I can't keep track. But let's say that it's Nick Bosa on the board. He's there at two. And the Giants call and they say, "Hey, we want Haskins. Do you trade back? Do you effectively say, I take Odell Beckham and whatever other corner or edge rusher is available at six, and and kind of give up the consensus top prospect?" Or do you say, I'm just going to go ahead and take Bosa? I mean, if you have, like, I don't think that there's, uh, 
I don't think that they would be willing to move up just for, like you're going to have to give up more, right. Than just moving down four spots. Almost certainly. Um, if they, if that was all they asked, like, I think, yeah, no question. You would do that without even really thinking about it. Um, you know, I think the, again, the, the biggest mistake that the teams make in the draft, uh, is overconfidence. Um, and, and so as much as, uh, a player like Bosa looks very good. And, and I, uh, I love Bosa as a player. I think he is more than likely the best non miles Garrett edge rusher prospect of the last five years, I think pretty clearly, but even then we know that those players don't always hit. Right. And, and even though, you know, I don't know, just to throw a, like a, a, a random number, like maybe I have an 80% confidence level that he's going to become an impact player that, that kind of, uh, you know, you would expect him to be like, there's still that 20%, right. That that's unknown. And, and there's still well, with Bose, a lot a, of it's his injury history, right? I'm not really worried about it. like the, the ab thing, uh, is not a concern really. It's something that like gets fixed and then it's fixed, right. It's just kind of like done. Um, I think the, I think the concern is more just the concern that there is with all draft prospects and that there is, uh, you know, a, an inherent amount of unknown that comes with the territory of transitioning college players to NFL. And, and it's just, you can't like the worst mistake that you can make is saying that we know that this is the one guy, right. That's going to do it. When in reality, we know year after year, we're looking back on this thing that, better players go all over the place, right? Like you, you get players in the middle of the first round that were better than guys in the top five, you get guys in day two, right. That were better than guys in the first round. It just, it always happens that way. And so you can't get caught up with saying, this is the one player that we absolutely have to have, especially when that's not a quarterback, right? You can forgive them a little bit. If you got to go in all in to get your quarterback, because it's such a, a valuable position and, and it kind of, it, it's really its own thing that you evaluate outside of the rest of the roster, right? Decisions involving a quarterback is kind of a whole separate discussion, but barring that, like it's just, it, it's not something that you should do. So if they had that opportunity, 100% should be all over it to get a player like Beckham, who you pretty much know what he is. Right. And, and so uh, I, I think that more than likely though, that's not something that the giants would be willing to do. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, probably not something worth getting your hopes up for. And I think overall, for me, the the trade does make sense. I think it would be difficult to give up on a player, not give up, but to not take a player like that, knowing what we know about projecting edge rushers to the NFL. It's one of the sure. things that you have a bit more ability to do. Um, and, and so I think my confidence level would be a little bit higher in the fact that he hits. But but again, I think you're right. It's, it's that overconfidence. It's the ability to say, you know what? I want more opportunities to do this. And the thing that would change it for me is what the Niners do in free agency. If they are able to get someone like Justin Houston and Shaq Barrett, uh, and then they're able to pick up another edge rusher in the second or third round or something like that, you still have, I think, a quality base of edge rushing where you that, that Bosa need feels very, very visceral right now because we're staring down the barrel of Dakota Watson and Cassius Marsh, <laughs> right? Sure. And, and so when, when all of a sudden, if you look at the roster and it's no longer Cassius Marsh and it's Justin Houston and Shaq Barrett, you're like, yeah, Odell Beckham, that's now that, that feels a lot better um, when, when you're looking at the overall roster construction. So. Definitely. And, and it's, again, like, uh, you know, upgrading your pass offense is probably the single best thing that you can do, right? If you have an opportunity to make your pass offense better, it's the most stable thing year to year. It's really the thing that drives your overall success the most. And so uh, if you can ensure that you're going to have you know, one of the two, three best offenses in football because of uh, the players that you've added there, then like, that's absolutely something you need to seriously consider at all times. But there are other ways to go about doing that, right? And I think um, giving up, again, if it comes to what is more than likely going to be the realistic compensation that it's going to take to get Beckham, like they'd probably be better off kind of standing pat. Again, still looking to maybe move back uh, from two with another team that wants a quarterback. And then, you know, you're looking at this is, again, a pretty deep wide receiver class. I don't think there are a, a ton of uh, necessarily like star power at wide receiver. No, there's but no I think clear, there's a like... lot of like pretty good players that yeah. should be going in kind of that day two range. 
um, that I think, and, and historically, like you've been able to find really good receivers on day two of the draft. And so I think that's an area that maybe you dip back into. You obviously got a second round player in Pettis last year. I think you look to add another player, maybe day two this year and, and kind of keep adding pieces that way while still being able to, again, add pieces to your defense and some of these other spots that need a lot of help. All right. So overall, the officially sanctioned better rivals free agency plan starts with players like Justin Houston and Shaq Barrett. Those are the two targets at edge at corner, an area you probably need some insurance at. You're looking at Jason Verrett and Bradley Roby at safety. You're looking at Earl Thomas and Adrian Amos of the Chicago Bears at linebacker. You're looking at someone like maybe Jordan Hicks uh, and at wide receiver. um, There's not a whole lot there. Uh, If you can maybe trade with the Giants from two to six to get ODB with something else, then maybe that makes sense. But once that price tag starts to jump up, the Niners should politely bow out. And again, edge safety, the clear priorities there. Everything else is really pretty secondary behind those. Yeah. I mean, if the Niners ended the free agency period with signing Justin Houston, Earl Thomas, and then other kind of fill-in players, yeah, that would be amazing. Gotta feel pretty good about that. Yeah, you feel amazing. And honestly, and even if they ended up with like Shaq Barrett and Adrian Amos, I would still feel feel good about that. Yeah, again, there's a lot of, say, you know, even if they, like Trey Boston is another really good player. Yeah. Like there's, you know, we talked about him obviously uh, in, in a little bit more detail before, but I think there's a lot of good players there that even if for some reason you miss out on Earl Thomas, like there's really no excuse that you shouldn't come away with a very good quality yep. starting safety. Indeed. All right, well, let's get to just something really quick about the Combine because we are about to start our draft evaluations. We're going to go into uh, a cave, a.k.a. David's office, uh, and watch lots of film on some of these draft prospects. But we've got actual numbers. We've got measurables. We've got athleticism, the thing that we love. (laughs) We've got some P-Spark scores. So thanks to Zach Whitman uh, from 3SigmaAthlete.com for the composite scores. For the uninitiated, Spark is just a composite score that measures athleticism. um, And there's a lot of NFL coaches and franchises that use this to really find players and diamonds in the rough. Uh, I think that's how you end up with players like uh, Foye Loicon who was uh, decent as a seventh. He ended up being like a six-round pick, right, Uh, for the Falcons. Um, He's someone that we identified basically on spark numbers alone, and he turned out to be okay. Um, It's definitely something teams use to identify players. George Kittle, another P-spark hero. Matt Breida, another spark hero. Yeah, I mean, the the 49ers clearly... Yeah, use this as a metric. That's exactly right, and they should. And they should because athleticism doesn't guarantee that you were going to succeed in the NFL, but... The people generally who succeed in the NFL are very, very good athletes. Yeah, I think the way that Zach puts it is is really the best way to do it, right? It, which is not all good athletes are going to become good players, but most great players happen to be great athletes as well. And there are very few bad athletes that are good players. And so you kind of really, I think, focus on the extremes, right? So you're looking at... Um, and by no means should this be the starting point of the evaluation, right? But it, it is something that I think is very much worthwhile uh, considering and does matter. If you have a player um, that is, you know, a, a very poor athlete and tests it like the 10th percentile, you know, of players at his position, you should be very concerned about whether he's a good enough athlete to hold up against the other players that he's going to be facing in the NFL. And then by the same token, if you're, are, if you're looking at, say, maybe players – uh, at the same position that you have a pretty similar evaluation on right now, based on what you've seen from them on tape. And uh, one of those players is an elite athlete and the other ones is kind of a more middling lower tier athlete. Like maybe you use that as a sort of tiebreaker, right? Because it's it just, again, the really, really good players in this league, most all of them. And obviously there are always going to be outliers and exceptions to everything, but the the majority of very, very good players are very, very good athletes. And and this is something I think that's important when you also are looking at small school players and you're looking to see whether or not that game's going to translate to the NFL. Because you look at someone like Matt Breida, he played at Georgia Southern. Okay, is he going to be able to hang with the competition in the NFL. Well, when you are literally in like the you know 90th plus percentile in terms of, in terms of athleticism, then yeah, chances are you're going to be able to hang and Matt Breida can do just that. So overall, I think the composite score is also better because it, it is not just 40 time. It is not just broad jump. It is not just your three cone. It is a composite score that at least in Zach's calculations also takes weight into account when measuring athleticism. And ultimately, he puts all this stuff into a fancy formula and and he spits out a number. And really the important thing, not necessarily the raw score, but it's the percentile 
in which you land as a comparison to other athletes in the NFL. So Nick Bosa, for example, is a 70th percentile edge player. What does that mean? That means that that seven, he is a better athlete than seven out of 10 players at the edge position. Uh, and so, and that's important, right? Because for, for me, that means he clears a pretty important threshold. You, your, your edge player, you want them to be athletic and you want them to have the kind of, you know, the, the bend and the speed and the power that you need at the edge position. And, and Bosa has it. And that's great because that correlates with what you see on film. And when you pair his athleticism with his production, that's how you end up with a fantastic prospect. Yeah, I think, you know, really what it comes down to is, well, I, I think two things are important, right? One, um, certain positions, we know it's more important. I think edge is, is definitely, a, you know, near the top of that, the list when it comes to um, positions where we know that uh, athleticism and a certain type of athleticism uh, really matters for having success in that that role, right? Um, other positions, it matters less. Like, you know, I, I think I'm probably less concerned with how, uh, most receivers do like, I, I'm not necessarily that concerned about receivers having the top end. I want to, I want to see them not be the terrible athletes. Right. But I think you kind of, because of the different styles that are involved with the receiver, you have success kind of all over that spectrum. Right. Um, so you have kind of that, that end of it. Um, and then I think, you know, looking at, again, that overall score is so important and, and, and knowing that it's not just one drill. It's not just looking at a specific aspect, but this is kind of the overall picture of, of the athlete. And I think that's something that uh, is really important and should become a part of your evaluation because you want to have something to go back to, to kind of validate what you see on film. You know, it's, I, I feel like this is kind of the case with most everything. Like this is why we do a lot of what we do at PFF, right? Because as you're watching film and Lance Erline actually had a really great tweet about this today. And it's essentially like, if you think that the tape doesn't actually lie to you sometimes, like you're wrong. And a lot of that comes down to, uh, you know, kind of these external factors that you, you can't always remember and can't always control if you're just sitting there watching tape and not really recording anything or, or being able to go back and validate what you were seeing. Right. And so I think to know, you know, maybe I see, okay, yeah, this, it seems like this guy's hands aren't that good. It seems like he's dropping a lot of passes. Well, I need to go back and check how many times he actually dropped the ball, right? And how many times he was throwing the ball to see if that's actually a concern or if it's just something I'm not remembering correctly. Athleticism in this regard is kind of the same way. He may look like a good athlete on tape, but I want to be able to fall back on something that really shows me that that's the case. And so I think that's what we get from this. I think the, the best example of that so far is DK Metcalf. He's the guy who was like, you know, he had ridiculous, in some cases, uh, athletic scores. He had really, really crappy other scores. I think it was his three cone was slower than Tom Brady's. He's still trying to change direction right yeah. now. Like, <laughs> he hasn't shifted gears yet on the three cone. Well, he's got so much drag from having 97 abs that he just, you know, it just, it slows him down, man. You like, can't... get out of here with your 1%, but like, you would be dead. You're, you yeah. can't, you can't do that. That's not how it works. But you, you look at, you roll the tape and you can see a little bit of that on tape. You, you do see kind of a little bit of struggle of him changing direction, but it's not as terrible as you would think that he's like, oh my God, he's slower than Tom Brady. No, he, he's still fine when he plays wide receiver. Um, yeah, it's, it's all about knowing, you know, I think this is uh, actually a pretty, another good thing to consider too, is you look at like, you, so you start with kind of the composite score, right? But it is good to look at the component pieces. It's kind of like, uh, I think to me, this is one of my favorite things about the PFF grades is basically, so you start with that overall grade, right? And that gives you a pretty good general idea of like where a player falls and, and kind of how good they performed. But it's really more when you like a lot of the value comes from digging into kind of the subsets and, and learning how that grades made up, right? It's kind of same thing here is like, depending on what you want them to do again with receiver, there's a lot of different flavors of receiver. We talked about with Trent Taylor, his overall athleticism wasn't great, Not right? Good. Um, but he was very, very good in change of direction drills and, and scored really high there. And so when you think about the type of player that he is and what role he's going to have in an offense, that's something that's very helpful. And that's why he's able to kind of get open and create separation. And so I think you, you kind of want to start with the overall picture and then, okay, ask, what am I going to ask these players to do on the field? And then do they have kind of the athletic traits that really uh, allow them to do that? Other overall scores that jumped out, uh, Josh Allen, 81st percentile at the edge position, which is awesome. That's really, really good for him. Uh, you, you think to yourself, okay, so Bose is in the 70th percentile, Allen's in the 81st. 
does that is there a substantive difference there in terms of in terms of athleticism? Yeah, I think there is, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden that Allen is a better prospect simply because he is, you know, in the 80th percentile or 81st percentile and Bosa is in the 70th. No, that again, they clear an important threshold yeah. and that's what matters here. Same with Montez Sweat. You know, there are some people who are like, "Oh, Montez Sweat, 97th percentile, fastest 40 for, you know, a defensive lineman." That's cool. That's great. It's neat. But now, does he actually produce on field? Is he actually going to make that athleticism work for him on the field? I don't know that it always does. And so, again, it's one of those things where it's, it's good to note that he's a fantastic athlete, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden he's in the same category as someone like Nick Bosa. Right. It's it's part of the discussion, not the starting point. I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Montez Sweat, Rashawn Gary, I think looking at at that uh, and, and how well they scored is really going to, I think it's interesting how people, what people do with that information, right. And how they, they judge those prospects based on that. Because I think you see people, uh, I think moving up guys like Montez Sweat and Rashawn Gary pretty high. Like I've seen both those guys like as potential top five players. Nope. And it's just like, that's not what they were on the field. Right. And, and so uh, it's interesting when you compare players like that to, I think players like, Obviously, I mean, Bosa, everybody loves, so there's not really a lot of debate with him. But I think guys like Josh Allen, Brian Burns to me is another, like just to throw another edge name out, uh, is a very interesting one. So he actually currently, among the guys that went to Indy uh, and actually completed all the tests, like uh, has the fourth highest spark score right now among edge rushers. And he's kind of right there. I think, I mean, I've only, I've watched like little bits here and there of all these guys over the course of the season, just watching games. But uh, to me, he's like one of the more interesting names right below Bosa, right? So in kind of that next tier of players, um, I'm I'm really interested to see kind of once I've had a chance to study them more, the difference between like him and somebody like Josh Allen. Um, but I think he did very well for himself there. And so, yeah, it's about finding that mix, right? Like we talked about uh, last year, when you're talking when you're talking about these top players, you want them to check all the boxes, right? It's the athleticism, it's the production, you know, it's it's kind of everything you want to be there. It's only later in the draft that you start being more willing to compromise. And I think you kind of have to do that with guys like Sweat and Gary. Yep. Other only other notable score was Miles Boykin. Uh, he's about to be a three sigma athlete. And, and if you don't remember your statistics class, the the sigma is the number of standard deviations away from the mean that you are. Now, and there aren't very many three sigma athletes. There aren't very many players that are three standard deviations away from the mean in the NFL. Uh, and Miles Boykin looks like he's on that path because that dude killed the drills. Uh, and and yeah, I mean anything anyone who is that athletic is just it's just impressive yeah i think there are, so I, I know zach had a post about this so i think there are five players that yep. he has uh on record as being three sigma athletes and it's jj watt calvin johnson evan mathis lane johnson and then uh byron jones was the most recent addition wasn't obi uh Melawanfu? was didn't he also crack it recently um, I don't know edition? that he was, so Byron Jones was the most recent that he actually made okay. a post a about, post about. Mm-hmm. um, yeah. So maybe he just, uh, hasn't, hasn't updated yeah. it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, a small, small list of players yep. who are that good of an athlete. Well, the combine is done, my friend. That means that we have athleticism scores, and that means that we are now entering the draft prospect part of the offseason breakdown. So what does that mean? That means next week it's going to be all draft prospects all the time. No. Um, do we, we got, have one? We got uh, actual free oh, agency that's right. is happening. That's right. We're gonna League have- year starts, uh, I think, the day, yeah, the day that we record is the first day of the, the new league year next Wednesday. So. Well, we'll see if we can sneak some draft stuff in there if we get some prospects. Because uh, I think uh, Sunday we're gonna we're gonna watch some film. Yeah, we're gonna, gonna have get a, started. Really, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a pro day. Uh, yeah, finally gonna have some time to actually. When it's not my from. anniversary, so <laughs> <laughs> we're we're it's we're gonna hit the outro quick, but re- like real quick, it. I so we I was supposed to go over to David's on Tuesday to watch film, and. I, you know, I, I get home, I tell my wife, Hey hon, I'm going to go over to David's later. We're going to, we're going to start breaking down some, some prospects. It's going to be lots of fun. She's like, okay, cool. No big deal. Uh, and, and this is on, on Monday night. And then later she goes, wait, you're going over to David's tomorrow. I go, yeah. And she goes, that's our anniversary. (laughs) And immediately my stomach drops. I'm like, oh shit. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I already put football above a lot of things. <laughs> this is not one of those instances where I think I can get away with it, especially in the off season. And then it hits me and I go, wait, you're just bringing this up now? That means you forgot too. 
And she starts laughing. We had, we had a pretty good laugh about it. I mean, yeah. the fact that you both forgot is uh, is pretty great. Yeah. yeah. I, the thing is, is like, so uh, the only way that I can remember these things is I have to like throw them. So your anniversary is like one of the few friend anniversaries that I have on my calendar. And so I was like looking at that uh, and I was like, I nearly brought it up. I was yeah. like, that's kind of strange. Uh, maybe they're just going to celebrate on the weekend. Like, I'm sure that's and like, who wants to go out on, you know, who wants to go out on Tuesday, Tuesday night, right? Yeah. So maybe it's just not a big deal. They're going to do it on uh, on Friday night or something like that. And so yeah. I was like, all right, I'm sure he knows. But Instead, we stayed home and watched uh, my wife's version of the NFL Combine, which is watching Colton jump over a fence on The Bachelor, <laughs> which, I mean, hey, he showed off that 36-inch vert. That, oh, that, that, was, that was something, but... Uh, that, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Tune in next week as free agency kicks off uh, and we find other things to kill your ear holes with. Uh, you leave a review on iTunes if you've liked what you've heard. You can find us basically anywhere you can find podcasts. Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the podcasts. Basically, if you know how to work the internet, you should be able to search for Niners Nation and or better rivals if you can't work the internet i have no idea how you're listening to this right now but kudos to no you, help for you kudos to you uh happy birthday wedding and as always go niners